Bill finally gave the Ringers Philly Crew a podcast. I'm Ben Solak. And I'm Shield Kapadia. That's right. Just a couple of Philly guys with a new space to fire off some Eagles takes, get caught up in the Sixers chaos and more. We'll be coming to you twice a week on Sundays and Thursdays, plus bonus episodes whenever we get breaking news or Philly drama. Join the fun and follow the Ringers Philly special now on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Ugg. Y'all know Ugg is a brand that athletes wear all the time and the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think Ugg season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from Ugg. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. Ugg has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the golden collection at Ugg.com. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. Thank you for listening to the Ringers NBA Draft Show. My name is Kevin O'Connor, and I'm joined once again today by my good friend and colleague, Jay Kyle Mann. What's up, Kyle? How you doing? Doing pretty well, Kev. I'm just uh, hanging out. A lot of basketball going on right now. A lot of Thanksgiving. Always a nice cluster of all levels of basketball, and I've been staying busy. Um, it's just been a treat. Like high school, college, NBA. It's, it's, a, it's a buffet, man. It's a smorgasbord. Oh, it's a lot of basketball. I'm feeling under the weather, unfortunately. I was going to be going to the UCLA Pepperdine games, and I had a lot of NBA draft prospects in that, but I'll be staying home instead. Thankfully for Thanksgiving, it's just going to be my mom and I. I. You know, don't have to not see family or friends. Did not get a Friendsgiving invite anyway. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I wouldn't have been able to go. Not feeling great. Got a little head cold that my mom had last week, but it is Did what you it say is, mom? Did you say mom? Are you, mom are that's you, the way I pronounce her name. You're British? I don't know. It's the way I've pronounced it my whole life. It wasn't until pretty recently, a couple of years ago, someone said to me, you pronounce it mum instead mom. of mom? Mom? I've never d- done mom. I think it's a regional thing. Really? You think so? There are other people that live up your way that do that? Well, yes. Kev, I hope you get invited to a Friendsgiving, but you're not healthy enough to go. So just yeah. just get healthy. Thank you for being responsible and protecting the the vulnerable <laughs> <laughs> immunocompromised <laughs> folks we got out there. You're a good guy. Absolutely. No, I mean, I've always been this way when it comes to head colds. So you're not feeling well, stay home. And besides, Kyle, there's a lot of basketball to watch. On Tuesday night, we're going to start off talking about an NBA game and some of the players on the Kings and the Grizzlies and their development, what we've seen from them in the NBA ever since they got drafted. The Kings won their seventh in a row. The beam has been lit again, seven times in a row, 113 to 109 over the Grizzlies, really snuck away with the the win at the end of that game. Really weird ending with with John Morant whispering in the ear of Malik Monk, the missed free throws. He made both, and then John missed his. So last night, though, Kyle, the guy I want to open up talking about didn't have the highest scoring game, DeMontis Sabonis, only nine points on eight field goal attempts. He had eight assists, 13 rebounds, now on the season. After they traded Halliburton for him, he's averaging 17 points, 
11.1 rebounds, 6.1 assists to only 2.3 turnovers. The Kings are leading the entire NBA in dribble handoffs. This is a stat I mentioned on the mismatch a couple weeks ago. Nearly 40 handoffs per game, according to Second Spectrum. Sabonis leads the NBA with nearly 18 dribble handoffs logged per game. This is a guy in college who averaged under two assists per game at Gonzaga. And for him to turn into the guy that he has here in the NBA, for the Kings, obviously, of the utmost importance for them with the way they run their half court in the, in the, the, the way they run their offense in the half court. But I couldn't have seen him ever turning into this guy that we see today. Were there any signs of this from him at Gonzaga uh, based on where he is today with Sacramento and has been for some time with Indiana? In terms of the volume, no. Like you said, he didn't indicate the volume. You have to kind of look for little indicators, I guess, of feel and watch his... Uh, I mean, the lazy thing to do would be to look at who his father is and to say he's probably <laughs> um, among... If you consider going for era, I mean, Jokic totally piggybacks off of what Arvita Sabonis was. Um, I, I mean, the, the lazy thing you could do is say, yeah, in terms of feel, I would assume that the hours that he had in terms of like being acclimated to basketball, being the son of one of the smartest centers who ever lived, you would assume that he would have a leg up on everybody there. But in terms of the types of offense that they ran, um, I don't know. It could be a case of he wasn't surrounded. Maybe the players just didn't dictate the style. They had a really ground and pound kind of Gonzaga team those two years that he was there with Karnowski. Kyle Wilcher was a little more of like a stretch four. Um, yeah, you just have to kind of go in the in the weeds and watch the watch the clips of the plays where he did do it. And I think he did show indicators of like of uh, of like the the bounce passes off of cutters. But I think one of the key things here that is important about the DHO stuff is that uh, Sabonis is just like a fantastic screener. I mean, the screening is a huge part of the separation that I think makes it easier on some of like the finesse guards, like the fast sort of skill dependent kind of there. Like, you wouldn't look at Herter, you wouldn't look at Monk, you wouldn't look at De'Aaron Fox and say, those are power guards, right? No. No. <laughs> right, well, I'm just saying, they're sort of skill kind of guys that get in the lane and things like that. So I, I think that his skill set really lines up with that. And I was looking at, like, the screen assist for him in the past few years, second in 2021-22, and he was first in 2020-21, and he was also first the year before that. So this is a guy that just gets uh he makes a lot of hay out of being like a really clever angular screen setter and he can make a lot of those simple passes over the top bounce passes kickouts he flips the floor really really well and i think that's kind of a common denominator among like great ball movement teams is having somebody in the middle of the floor who can reverse the ball and to have a sense for when to do that um i think that's kind of why he's had so much success with this like group of players that sacramento has yeah, Sacramento has absolutely put around Sabonis and Fox. I mean, Fox is the guy from the perimeter, pick and roll, slasher type. Sabonis more of on the elbows. They're able to get creation from different areas of the court, but all of the sort of supporting pieces help each other. Barnes, Murray, Herter, Monk, even a guy like Trey Lyles playing pretty good minutes off the bench for them. Davion Mitchell, all these guys who can play with and without the ball, high IQ players, movers without the ball. And it all works with each other because with Sabonis, he can be, like you said, he's a fantastic screener. He can be the guy setting a high pick and roll screen for De'Aaron Fox and then rolling hard to the rim or short rolling and picking apart the defense in the pocket there. Or it can be someone who kind of just hangs out on the perimeter, gets the handoff, Herta comes around the screen, hits a three, Murray comes around, attacks the basket, 
all the pieces for Sacramento are working and they play it's like such a a crisp fast pace in the half court they like when when people talk about speed and playing fast it is transition you know they do that they really push the pace get a lot of transition opportunities but in the ha- half court they just play fast and with Sabonis you know I, I was rewatching some of his stuff at Gonzaga and I looked back at my pre-ringer draft guide in 2016 and just some of the notes I had for him in there Nonstop motor, hustles on both ends, has a high basketball IQ, has a natural sense of space and feel for the game, tough competitor, advanced post scorer, great finisher in the paint, improved passer, can make the easy play, kick out from the low post, makes quick decisions and cut down on his turnovers. It's like you said, Kyle, you nailed it. The signs were there with him, but you never could have seen the volume of what he's doing now as one of the highest usage, you know, elbow post creators that that's surprising to me for him to be doing this at his level so and that makes us think about the 2023 draft you know if you're projecting forward some of the prospects in the 2023 class are there any types of players that show some of the signs or the qualities where they could someday be kind of a a playmaking hub like we see from Sabonis for previously Indiana and now Sacramento I don't know that there's anybody that like um, I, you, I'm sure you remember um, the guy Cam Crutwick, the guy that played for Loyola Chicago. I remember we talked about him on the NCAA tournament. There's nobody like that that I think is like just wheeling and dealing at like a wild rate in the high post. Like I, I, there's nobody that jumps out like that. But I do. I don't think that that means that that talent isn't there because, like we said, like Sabonis is an indicator that like if a guy is translating from the college to the NBA game. They might have to adjust what they what they're good at, and that you know lean into a certain skill set and say like I can work at this. And I think like everything in basketball, like really good players, usually sequentially build on their skill sets in a way that makes sense. And I think that like the foundation for Sabonis there made a lot of sense. So just leaning into that and thinking about guys that are in the league that show those types of indicators. One guy that uh, he's a little erratic. Um, I, I, this guy's probably more of a, like a PJ Washington type without the shooting. Is uh, Tracy Jackson Davis for Indiana? Is a guy that stayed in college, really good athlete. Uh, like I said, the shooting isn't there. He's somebody that I could see becoming like a mid post kind of screener if he's not going to be a shooter, you know, because I think he's going to be a lob threat. Uh, another guy that I think is interesting, and this is sort of like an aesthetic, probably biased thing, but Hunter Dickinson for Chicago, for Michigan, actually misspoke there. He, another like big bodied guy that I think is going to have to kind of find some niche skills uh, to translate to the next level. Uh, he can be. Uh, a little wasteful in his passing. Uh, his, his, he can turn the ball over as much as he assists, but he's somebody that kind of shows some indicators. Uh, and then Janai Broom is a guy that plays for Auburn that I think has some like some some good feel um, and and shows some ball skills. Um, None of those, those first rounders, though, right? I don't really see any of those guys as first rounders. Yeah. So nobody then in the first round then, like like we're talking you know sleeper types, second rounders who maybe carve out a role in the NBA, but unless it's a Wemby, you know, who gets empowered to do that, which he can do everything. Yeah. There's really not a guy in the first round that stands out as a, as a big. We talked about Filipkowski last week, and he's not really that type. He could, you know, I, I think you're assuming a lot, uh, but the, like, I think there are three, I wrote this in our outline, but you know, I think there are like kind of three different types of bigs that, of bigs that you can kind of like run offense through. Like the first one is just, offense that sort of responds to a big time score, you know, the way that, you know, Joel Embiid passes out. Uh, and then there's the guy who can like create theirs, 
that's drawing awesome. doubles, right? Like, yeah, like he yeah. draws double teams, and that and that's what generates offense. Sure, yeah. And then they're the guys that are like a fulcrum between two like perimeter scores or three. You know, they they kind of the the pieces orbit them, but they're not necessarily a dominant score, which is more of like the Bam Adebayo, the Draymond, the Nurkic types. Uh, and then there's the dudes that can do both at a high level, which is Jokic. There, there's nobody like Jokic in the draft, in my opinion. Um, and I think there's there are more we're more likely to see the guys in that middle space where Sabonis, where Bam, where Nurkic lives. Um, so those are kind of the three types. Um, Wimby could be an MB type that like, you know, his offense is so good that his passing responds to the gravity that he pulls. But we've really we're kind of early in seeing that stuff, right? He's not He's shown some flashes, you know, with those little touch passes inside. There's a little bit of creative flair from Wemby. I mean, I, I could see it maybe not, definitely not at the Jokic extreme. I mean, he is an outlier of all outliers. But in the Sabonis, you know, stratosphere, it's not like Sabonis is some creative savant out there yeah. as a playmaker. He's just a good, rock-solid creator. He makes great decisions. He minimizes mistakes. He puts the ball on target. He knows where to be, when to be there. He knows how to run sets and just uh, really just run an offense in his role as a big. I could see Wemby going down that path, mm-hmm. but maybe not because he's such a dynamic scorer. Maybe you want him in the Embiid role. Yeah, and he's more face-up, too. I think those are just yes. kind of different skill sets. And another part of this is like having the sense of when to attack mismatches, even though these guys aren't dominant scorers. Like if Bam gets a good mismatch, he'll attack it and he'll go score. And that's kind of like the the balance of of having the sense of when to do that and when to pass. Um, yeah, some of those guys I mentioned, there are a few like upside guys that I think are are really interesting. Um, I, I sent one to you, uh, Jalen. This is just one. This is a deep bargain bin one. Jalen Slauson for Furman is an excellent passer. I think people should go check him out the way he plays out of the post. But he's kind of an oversized jumbo physical wing. He's not necessarily a big small ball type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Justin Mutz for Virginia Tech, uh, great name, <laughs> is also another good passer. But those are those are just a few off the top. With bigs in the NBA right now, I mean, in this upcoming class, obviously, Wemby has everybody's attention. We've talked a little bit about Derek Lively, Kalel Ware with Oregon. Neither of those guys tend to fit into the bucket that we're talking about here. On the other side of the matchup last night with Sabonis was Steven Adams. Um, in, the, in the 2013 draft class, I wasn't a big fan of Adams. Um, he's somebody who improves so much athletically in the NBA with the way he moves his feet. Granted, he is still a bruising big man. Um, compare it to what he was in college. It's on another level. The fact he's still in the NBA right now, granted he's you know not even in his 30s yet. He's only 29 years old and feels like he's 35. We always, <laughs> we always do that with him. I've talked about that before. We'll be like, Stephen Adams, he's like 35, right? It's like, no, he just played immediately. <laughs> um, I mean, he wasn't far behind Sabonis in screen no. assist if you look throughout the years. I mean, uh, I'm looking at 2020 here and he was, yeah, he averaged 4.8 screen assists per game. He's kind of, if you just turn the dial down a little bit, but a pretty good over-the-top passer, you know, one-handed kind of baseball passes. For to sure. And things. Yeah. Strange with guys like him, Kyle. I mean, we see, you know, Hibbert's out of the league, been long out of the league, but a guy like Adams still feels like a relic with his bruising interior style. There's not a lot of dudes like him. I mean... Zubats has turned himself into a hell of a player for the Clippers. Very good defensively, rock solid offensively. 
Brooke Lopez, it's been cool to see him evolve. Goes from this interior post scorer type to now screen and roll, occasionally pummel teams in the post, but shooting threes has become a DPOI candidate. Guy like him adding value, extending his career. Adams hasn't evolved like that necessarily. He's still somebody his greatest value is during the NBA regular season. 30 minutes per game last year, cut in half to 16 in the playoffs from Memphis. This year, I'm sure it'll follow a similar trajectory. Insane value over the long 82-game season next to Jaron Jackson Jr. But then maybe depending on the matchup, if it's against Jokic, he'll play more. If it's not, maybe we don't. We see him more of a specialist role. So, you know, we talked about Oscar Sheway out of Kentucky last week. He's somebody that could maybe fit that role. Granted, he's not a passer like Steven Adams. No, he is not. (laughs) No, definitely not at all. We do want to talk about some other guys who can pass the ball, though, from last night's game. John Morant and De'Aaron Fox. It goes without saying how sensational these guys are. Lottery picks have turned themselves into, you know, Morant, an all-star, Fox, maybe an emerging all-star this season. Coming out of college, their speed, athleticism, all that's obvious. What they could become is a downhill scoring threat. At the time, with them, the concern was their jumpers. You know, I didn't know what level they could reach. And you could argue that they they are who they are. Morant in college was 34% from three, 81% from the free throw line. Fox in college was 25% from three, 74% from the line. At this point, you know, Morant is 34% career catch and shoot three, Fox 36%. Morant, 33% career off the dribble. Fox, 30%. It's not like these guys have become elite-level shooters, but they're good enough to earn the respect of defenses, and and that's what makes me think of the Thompson Twins. We talked about them in our first episode, uh, an introduction to the 2023 draft class, with the jumper being the number one point of concern for them. How good do they have to be? Like, they have more height than Fox and Morant. They're not perfect comparisons, but the, the downhill attacking, slashing, you know, playmaking, you know, you can, there's, there's shades of them in Fox and Morant. Like, how important actually it is them based on the Fox Morant bucket is it for them to actually develop those jumpers, Kyle? I think if they want to be primary options, uh, it's very important. You know, Sirit and I were talking about on The Answer, which uh, on Tuesday we were talking about the development development of John Wall and what the NBA was like when fast point guards were coming in, you know, back in, in 2010-11, which was his rookie season. Um, you didn't have to be a dribble pull-up shooter from three. I was I made the point that he he logged like almost 900 pick and rolls his first two, two years in the league, and he only shot 14 threes in those pick and rolls. So, which is crazy. But today, um, I think, he, and I think they're a little bit different because you know Fox and Morant bend the defense with their speed. Um, I kind of feel like I see Amin and Asar kind of being like second side creators, like the ball gets swung to them. Um, if, if they're going to be primary kind of on ball guys, I do think that they're going to have to, they're going to have to develop some semblance of a, of a pull up jumper. Um, I, I think the big thing for Fox and Morant is just they're dependable in the sense that, uh, if they come off like a couple dribble handoff options and they're the person that gets kicked to, it's, it's kind of, it's a question of like how, how much of a mobile three point shooter are you? How much are you going to like? chase your jump shot they are sort of more like pressure release shooters in my opinion you know you've seen what fox has been like when his attempts have changed he shot the ball a whole lot better which is something i always thought would be true for him 
Um, but for the Thompson twins, I kind of I kind of feel like that's going to be the question for them is, it, you know, because if you can't shoot the ball, they're always going under. They're always going to drop. They're always going to sag because they want you to shoot the ball like that because you're a slithery super athlete. Right. I mean, that speaks to the difference between what we're talking about with Fox Morant. They're not knockdown guys, but they're not liabilities. I'm in and Osar Thompson right now seem like liabilities from behind the arc. You know, I, I think for them, it's going to be right now they seem like more of a supercharged Bruce Brown type. Like you see the way he interacts playing next to Jokic as a inverted screener, as a guard screening for Jokic, as a guy who's active cutting. Granted, he's become a, a productive three-point shooter on a very tiny low volume. You know, that's maybe the hope for the Thompson Twins long term. I was hoping this year after they revised their mechanics, their numbers would be better. Granted, it's a small sample size so far. They're not. Amen's 23% on 26 three-point attempts preseason and regular season combined. 71% on 41 free-throw attempts. Osar is 24% on 25 three-point attempts and 67% on 30 free-throw attempts. There's been real no improvement there. Um, it's early, but I do think despite the lack of a jumper, these guys are still talented not enough that they can still be positive NBA players, which I think speaks to the Sabona side of the conversation too. Like if you can get your creation from a big man, you can have a non-shooting guard slash wing type, which is kind of the role you're describing for them as a second side option, right, Kyle? Like, is it more about the fit with the Thompson twins right now if they aren't able to develop their jumper more so than anything else to maximize what they can be? Well, if they're not going to be able to maximize their jumper, yeah, it's going to have a, it's going to be a huge hindrance on their role because, you know, you're going to go, like I said, you're going to go under, you're going to drop, you're going to be able to crowd them. I, I just don't, it limits sort of the scope of what they can be. But, you know, that's just talking about the offensive side of the ball. You know, if they, if they want to be second side, you know, just wide open three point shooters who can like attack a closeout. I don't think there's any, like we said, they're going to be elite athletes from day one. I don't know who's going to stay in front of those guys if you get the floor flipped and they're attacking you. That's terrifying to think about. Um, and, and they've shown a little bit of passing, but, uh, you know, the defensive side of the ball is also important. Um, you know, they, they have the physical tools to do that. Um, I don't know. It's all, it's all kind of a, a piece of a, of a bigger equation. Uh, you know, you, you have to find pluses to stay on the floor like we were talking about, but it does limit what they can be as on-ball guys, as compared to Fox and, and Morant. It'll be interesting to see where they end up going because, you know, they're young kids, superb athletes. But in last year's draft, we see somebody like Sacramento take Keegan Murray ahead of some of those other more higher power, Jaden and Ivy, Benedict Matherin, athletic guard types. Keegan Murray, despite being in his 20s, is just the rock-solid do-it-all forward who can shoot threes, attack closeouts, play smart, you know, play versatile defense. Keegan Murray, you know, as an upperclassman, rises into the top five. Are there any guys this year that could maybe not rise into the top five, considering how strong it is up top, uh, but maybe rise into the lottery? I know his brother Chris, you know, is playing very, very well this season. Maybe the upside isn't there, but it's intriguing nonetheless that he's filling those shoes. <laughs> uh, it's pretty eerily similar, actually. Yeah. 20, 23.8 points per game, one and a half assists. That was the thing John would always joke about was just that you get you get that much offense without like anything running through you and, and not being on ball. The big thing here is 47.8% from three on 5.8 attempts. Um, so, I mean, he is a knockdown shooter. It kind of makes you, I don't know that he's going to ascend into the lottery the way Keegan did, because this draft it has a lot of talent. So I, I don't know that that's going to happen. 
Um, I don't know. Do you do you have anybody you think could rise into the lottery that is kind of off the radar that's an upper classman? Because it's it's mm, very if not you look at the forward spot. Yeah. No, not at the forward spot this year, I don't think. But um, no, Chris Murray definitely has a shot for the same exact reasons as Keegan. 6'8", solid defense. There's really like no reason why not as you're building the case other than the fact that there are so many talented younger underclassmen. Like we haven't even talked about Gigi Jackson on this podcast. You know, like we haven't talked about him. We'll talk about Brandon Miller a little bit later. We talked about him before too. There's just... Anthony Black on Arkansas, we'll talk about him in a bit here. There's just so many good freshmen or sophomores this year. There's just more more players to climb past. And speaking about Keegan Murray, next week's episode, we're going to do a redraft of the 2022 draft. Way too early redraft. I'm looking forward to doing that, especially given how well guys like Benedict Matherin are playing so far. Jaden Ivey filling in for Cade Cunningham being hurt. And one more guy from last night's game we got to talk about, Kyle. Kevin Herter. Yeah, baby. Kevin Herter. KD just said he's playing like Clay Thompson. Last night, Kevin Herter, 18 points, 6-10 from the field, 4-7 from three, continues crushing for the beam team, Sacramento Kings. Herter, moving away from Trey Young in Atlanta, playing the best basketball of his life (laughs) with Sacramento. What a joy it is watching him turn into the player that he has in the NBA. I was joking with our buddy Ben Taylor about like, is there is there like a, a, a market inefficiency or like a play an edge that you can find by like getting guys who have played with Trey Young that like actually they're more valuable than we realize? Because anyway, that's just me taking a shot at Trey Young. No, we're kidding, folks. We're kidding. But seriously, a little bit. Uh, or no, Herder. I mean, Herder's a, a better passer, I think, than than Clay. Just to tack that on to what KD said, and I, I haven't been surprised. We we both like Herder. I know I'm, I really was a believer that he could add a lot more. Um, but in terms of like guys in this class, a I think you need to just say like, what are we talking about when we say that? We're talking about a guy that can that can really dependably hit, you know, be a knockdown shooter. They could they have sort of. Uh, versatile usage, you know, you can play them off the ball, they can attack off the second side like we talked about, but they can also give you healthy on-ball stuff. Herter has done that. Last year, you know, Jalen Williams really popped to me. This is a skill I really, really, really value a whole lot. Um, If you can find guys that played point guard earlier in their life, that usually works. Uh, Terquavion Smith for NC State is a guy that I think he's actually he's nice. I like him. Yeah. He's playing in a, in a game tonight that that I would check out if I were you guys. Taron Armstrong from Cal Baptist is a really really talented uh, passer. The shooting, you know, I'm I'm a believer in the shooting. We'll see about his pace and his things like that. That's an off the radar like NBA Academy guy that people should go check out if you get a chance. Um, and then um, I mean I. I'm kind of curious about like Jalen Wilson's kind of playmaking upside. If we think if we think the shooting can be there, is he somebody that can be on ball full time? Those are a few guys that just kind of come to mind off the top of my head. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and empower what's next. Start today at empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 
25 and 1. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. It's winter and you can now get almost anything you need for the coldest months of the year delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a ski slope delivered, but you can get dish soap delivered. Sunshine, that's a no. But a bottle of wine, that's a yes. A snow angel, sorry, no. But angel hair pasta, Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol and select markets. Product availability may vary by region. See app for details. On Tuesday night, Kyle, we saw a absolutely sensational college basketball game between Creighton and Arkansas. Creighton won 90 to 87, two top 10 teams here. We're going to start off talking about the Arkansas side here because they have more NBA draft prospects that could be drafted high. One of them didn't play once again. We talked about Nick Smith during our introductory episode. He was just in a, he warmed up. He was in a jersey, hype man on the bench. Didn't see him play though. Instead, we saw Anthony Black have his second consecutive stellar game. He's a 6'7 guard. He was the 14th ranked high school prospect, RSCI. 26 points on 10 of 18 on Tuesday after 26 points on 9 of 11 on Monday. Feels like somebody who's finding himself with his size, playmaking, defense. What were your takeaways from Anthony Black so far this week, Kyle? Uh, He looked really comfortable out there against Creighton. Creighton has a lot of mature upperclassmen on their team, and they guard together and and move well and um, together as a unit. So I thought that this was going to be an interesting test for Arkansas. Uh, I did make the point that I think if these two teams play again, Arkansas is probably going to kick the shit out of them because you could kind of get that sense that like Arkansas was the little sloppy. They had these moments where they weren't composed or they made weird decisions. But one of the consistent things throughout the game, I think, is that like um, Anthony Black's pace really jumped out to me. I thought as a pick and roll player, I shared one clip with you. I thought he was really patient and like setting up screens. Uh, and then he was patient getting into the lane, which at, with his size, um, he kind of gives you that like floaty, fiz- like finesse kind of guard thing. But I don't think that's true. I think he actually has a a body that could fill out and get a little bit bigger. Um, but he made pretty good decisions, you know. And with the, on that one play, he he made a, a, a pass to his roller. The guy bobbled it, uh, which I don't think he should have. Uh, but he relocates to the wing. And then uh, as a shooter, he had enough respect that he like went baseline and beat a guy and then threw a floater over Kalkbrenner, who is Creighton's seven-footer. Uh, and made a, made a tough shot. I just thought he looked like the most poised guy throughout the game for Arkansas. If they can get Nick Smith back, that two-headed monster of ball handlers is going to be really, really interesting to watch. I don't know if they're going to get him back. Is that a scoop? You said you don't know if they'll get him back? I don't have any hard kind of they're just there's there's whispers out there Kev there there are whispers about what's going on um I I I can't I can't report cuz it's not solidly sourced but I I I've, I've heard some things we'll just say that uh so 
I don't know. But if they get him back, they're going to be tough as hell. They could win it all if they get Nick Smith back. Yeah, I think they could. I, I think that they can play a few different ways. But I think you hit on it that he his feel jumps out to me. He looks really comfortable out there. Um, he he has a cross section of things um, that I like, like the size. You know, the six seven thing. I kind of printed out kind of on the on the list of of player types. Like if you use the season finder and the names, like for what I think he'll do in the NBA, and some interesting names kind of came up. I don't know. Did any of those jump out to you that you thought were like good comps? I, the Dinwiddie one, I think, is pretty interesting. Um, sort of a guy who maybe isn't a full time ball handler, but has great size. You said Lonzo. What do you? What do you? What was your justification for that one? I think with Lonzo, the the combination of playmaking size, that flair he kind of brings to the floor. I mean, Black is somebody who. I mean, you said it in that play. You know, he runs a nice pick and roll. You know. Passes bobbled, picks it right back up, relocates outside, attacks that closeout. He's just somebody who makes basketball plays. I know it's kind of like a cliche thing to say, but Lonzo was very much that way, where you surround Lonzo with good talent. He makes them better. They make him better. Anthony Black seems to be that type of guy, too. You know, there's a little bit of like, uh, you know, you have Evan Turner on your list as well. That's not mine. That was just that popped up in the return. I wanted so, yeah, to talk about it's, that it's, with you. It's it's like take the, the positive qualities from Evan Turner at his best. Yeah. And you get a solid player, right? I think with Anthony Black, he should end up being a better three-point shooter over the course of time, um, which I, I, I guess is, you know, a similar note with him um, compared to some of the other prospects we're talking about here. He seems to be, not, he's not a player like Ja or Fox. But he's unlike the Thompson twins in the sense that there's at least a level of confidence he's at least going to be a competent three-point shooter. If not not a knockdown elite guy, but he'll be good. Yeah, I had it written down here. I think his, his shot will definitely have to adjust when he gets to the league. I think it's a little low and it's a little slow. Like yeah, It's the, a stiff release kind of shot. shot. Yeah, his shot arc, he's got a lot of like, you know, he extends his arm his arm really hard. And I, I would like to see that I'd like to see that angle go up. And if a guy's making shots like that, you don't want to get in there and interfere too much. I'm not a shooting coach, but I just know that like, you know, if he if he does need to kind of round out his consistency, I think there's some things there that they can work to, work with. Um, but I definitely think that he he projects, I don't even know, maybe a Dyson. What do you think about Dyson Daniels as another kind of player? Mm, that's um, an interesting one. That's another one. Like, he gives you the point guard skills like we were talking about, but maybe doesn't necessarily need to be full-time on the ball. Um, yeah. Yeah. I could see Anthony Black rising in this draft as the year goes on. Me too, absolutely. He kind of fits that NBA style with the ability to play with and without the ball. And I think he's also in an NBA context too. I mean, he's surrounded by the types of wings that an NBA team would want with Trayvon Brazil, 6'9 forward, outstanding length. Granted, it's early shooting 44% from three this year, up from 33% last year. Dude, the dunk he had in the first half, amazing, crazy athlete. I had one, I had a thought. I don't like to, like, I know I'm going to, like, we were talking about comps. I get some, like, John Collins vibes from Trayvon Brazil. Mm. Like, uh, like I'm I into some, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A 4.5 is what I'm kind of talking about. A guy who's athletic enough to roll with you a little bit, shoots it a little bit. I don't know, I see a little bit there. How about with Jordan Walsh? 6'7", a little bit shorter, but still has an amazing wingspan. The dude's defense, like on Kaluma, that, uh, that, that foul he got called for in the first half. <laughs> I mean, that's so BS, I felt like. He, he completely mirrored every single movement, blocked the shot, his closeouts. He looks like Shane Battier 
closing out of the perimeter. Is it's it just the, like a, is it the the is it the sort of pale bald head thing? No, nah, I mean I mean the way the... he moves. It's like he's, <laughs> every every step he takes is so economical. He's it's so crisp uh, on the defensive end of the floor, and, and it's also it's not just like he's some fundamental guy. He's intense. He plays hard. He's an energy guy. Uh, Walsh in Brazil, you know, next to Black on the wing there. Some interesting NBA potential guys. Yeah, yeah. On that Arkansas team. Walsh, yeah, like you said, the wingspan. He just makes easy things difficult. Like, that's a big thing that you hear coaches talk about in in defensive settings is that, like, you know they want to disrupt your space that you that you feel comfortable in. And Walsh with that with that wingspan, he gets in there, he bothers dribble handoffs. Like you said, he moves his feet. His technique is just good. And if you think about his upside about where he could be a few years from now, I can see him just being a pain in the ass perimeter defender. Like like and and I think the shooting upside is there. Um, he, I, he Kaluma looked out of sorts a lot of the game. I, I think Kaluma for the listeners who is Kaluma. Arthur Kaluma is a, is a wing for 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 Creighton. He's a big guy. He's athletic. He's been playing really well, but he's more of a slasher. And as a ball handler, he actually played some high school ball with Shaden Sharp, and that's when he first caught my attention at Dream City Prep um, in in Arizona. But he um, he looked like he didn't want the ball at different points in the game because Walsh was Walsh was pestering him so much. Then other points, he was doing way too much. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. I feel like with him, I mean, downhill attacking. Great athlete. We saw him make some spectacular defensive plays as well. But like, it's the more they put the ball in his hands, the clearer it is to me that he's more of a finisher type who's playing off of a creator. Too sloppy as a passer. Couldn't make an entry pass. Yeah, he that, that's not going to be his game in the NBA if he pans out. Yeah, he's he's kind of hypothetical right now, and that's what I've had some people tell me. He's probably a little bit away. I think since he's playing it. I don't know. They were talking about Creighton being a high major on the broadcast, and I was like, is Creighton really? I guess they are. Yeah, they change conferences. I've always kind of thought of them as sort of like a right there teetering the line, like they are a high major. I think since he's at Creighton, I think people have kind of like seen him as like, oh, they're reading into it a little bit, um, like maybe giving him a little more of a hype bump than he's ready for. I think he's just got some things that need to round out and polish, but um, he's definitely not off my radar. I'm still going to keep an eye on him. Definitely not off the radar. He, he's got the body. He's got the potential for the game. Uh, we'll see how he develops over the course of the season. Was there anybody else on the Creighton side that you see some NBA upside? Uh, I mean, my favorite guy on their team is Baylor Shireman. I've been a big fan of this guy for a while. Dude can big shoot. lefty, 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, wing. I mean, he's been one of the best shooting prospects of the past couple of years. He can shoot it with movement. We saw him pull up from like the low. I, I mean, he was deep. I don't. It was, it was probably 30-ish feet, right? That one, he no conscience, no hesitation. I think he's a smarter. I was having some conversations. I really wanted this guy to come to Kentucky really badly. I thought that he was the <laughs> thing that would have really been the connective thing to help their offense have some fluidity. They didn't go after him because they didn't think he could defend in the SEC. Um, you signed Nate Sestina the other a couple of years ago, so explain that one to me. But I, I think he's just a guy who gives you a lot of different things. Really rebounds really well for his position. In the NBA, I don't know. I think he'll probably he would probably get picked on defensively, but at the college level, he's a great player. Needs to grow a lot on defense yeah. to survive. But the yeah. offensive ability is there, and he also does more than just shoot. He can pass a little bit, too. Oh, yeah. You know, he crashes the boards. He brings more offensive value than just a spot-up shooter guy off screens. So I think he has a lot going for him. He'll get chances. Um, but the defensive ability is what's going to make or break his odds in the NBA. Uh, Kalkbrenner is the other guy, you know, 
defensive guy. I don't think he moves well enough. Um, but you know, maybe he'll get a shot. And Nemhard in their back backcourt, six foot guard, brother of Andrew Nemhard on the Pacers, twenty one points last night, nine of twelve, had a huge dunk. Looked like he was, you know, really got up there. Was a six foot. That was nasty. Yeah, that yeah. was so fun. What yeah, an atmosphere <laughs> in that gym, man! I wish I'd been there. I know our buddy, our guys Titus and Tate were there. Mm-hmm. God, I wish I could have gone to that game. It's uh, maybe, when that, maybe next year. When Maui gets rocking, man, it's like when that gym gets going, it's it just looks like one of the most fun environments that you can be in. I was thinking about that Gonzaga Duke game from a couple, two or three years ago with the Zion and Brandon oh, Clark. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was wild. If you can get in there for one of those, man, it's, it's you know, it can be a little boring if you're seeing like Chaminade play Arizona or something. But like some of those big <laughs> matchups early in the year, uh, God, it's, it's just so fun. Maybe next year, Kyle, instead of, the, uh, <laughs> instead of doing a two-hour drive, to Indiana could take a long flight to Hawaii. Yeah, well, to come up with some some uh, some Hawaiian content, can you see us <laughs> watching some draft in, in Hawaiian shirts? I'll probably have to work out a little bit if I'm going to be walking around in a Hawaiian <laughs> shirt. But yeah, uh, same here. It could I'm be trying. a good time. We'll we'll see if we can talk anybody into it. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's move on to a new segment: my YouTube obsession. It's a Bill Simmons obsession. idea here, Kyle. The player that we just can't get enough of watching on YouTube, Imani Bates. It's a player a lot of people are familiar with. He was a high school sensation. People compared him to Kevin Durant, Kevin Garnett. Just this highlight reel, dunking. Did taking, people compare him to Garnett? I don't well, remember. Well, the, the intensity, the screaming oh, and the you. yelling and you know, right. pounding his chest, setting a tone. The trash talk. Bates was, he was a sensation. And then he just fell off a cliff. He didn't get better. He reclassified, went to Memphis, had a horrible year there. And and then this summer, after going to Eastern Michigan, he gets pulled over by the police. They smell marijuana in the car. He has a, a gun in the car with, that, with altered ID marks. And it feels like in that moment, his basketball career might be over, but he's playing. For Eastern Michigan right now, and through four games, averaging 21.3 points, shooting 46% from three, 52% from two, five assists to 11 turnovers, not playing a lot of defense, but he's had some great moments in his first game. He had 30 points against top 25 ranked Michigan. Since then, you know, he hasn't hit those highs. 20 points against Bradley. Crowd was chanting overrated in the first half when he was one for eight. Then against Oakland, 19 points on 16 shots. Against Purdue, Fort Wayne, 16 points on 15 shots. It's been up and down, a lot of downs for Bates, but he's at least like hitting the types of shots that first made people excited about him. Did we bury Imani Bates too quickly, Kyle, as an NBA draft prospect? I think it's been... Pretty fair because the things that we've seen, um, I, it's hard to hear a good word about the thing that happened at Memphis. There's a lot you could read into that about, like you said, he was young. This guy was, I've just kind of been worried about, I get worried when guys get on the radar too early and we just talk about them too much. I don't think that that's necessarily healthy for a kid all the time, depending on who they are. Not every situation is the same. Uh, I saw him when he was 15 years old. I've told the story. I saw him battle Bronny in Indianapolis. Uh, his shot making was ridiculous for a kid that age. Um, I, it was like, you know, he he could do it all. It really just a dribble shooter. Um, 
could step back, could beat you off the dribble and pull up. He had range. He had a real flicky shot. But as we've gone on, the kind of the question is like, who are you? Or how are you growing? Where are you going? What kind of positions are you putting yourself in to grow? Um, he played on a Ypsilanti team where he's from and kind of the same kind of thing, inefficient volume score. Um, the Memphis thing doesn't work out. He can't seem to get a rhythm with them. Doing a lot of the same stuff, just dribble shooting, dribble shooting, dribble shooting. And that's what he's doing at Eastern Michigan now. You know, he had that big game uh, where, he, where he put up 30. Just takes a lot of tough shots. All, the games that I'm watching, this, this is the telling stat. You know I love assist to usage, and for people, that just gives you an indicator of how many good decisions you make when the ball is in your hands. Uh, Anthony Black, playing for, uh, playing for Arkansas, his assist to usage is 1.013, which is really good. That means that pretty frequently you're, you're doing something good with the ball in your hands. Imani's assist to usage is 0.26. That is... For you to be that insistent of a score and not be a creator at all, you've got to be, you've got to be pretty damn efficient. You know, there are guys in the league like Kawhi's had a lower number on that front, but he's such a good scorer, draws a lot of fouls. Um, I'm just kind of wondering. Every time I watch him, I don't know that I would call it my obsession because I kind of get just frustrated watching him. Even still, uh, he's like dancing. You know, they're down 30 points in the you know in late in the second half. And he's dancing with the ball and taking a contested shot from, you know, with 22 seconds on the shot clock. And then the ball's in the air and he turns around and runs the other way before it hits the rim. And I'm just kind of (laughs) like. I I love it. Kyle, it's funny. I I get a kick out of it. Your idea of what's (laughs) funny has been kind of an interesting thing for me today. Uh, It doesn't agree with my sensibility. (laughs) <laughs> but, but, like I said, uh, when I watched Shaden last year, I felt a similar kind of feeling of, of frustration at times. And I love Shaden. I was a big Shaden guy. I guess the question, Kev, is just like, how real is this? You know, we, we know that he can dribble shoot. You know, he's done it pretty efficiently in high school, 36% at Memphis, 37 and a half, 50% dribble shooter at Eastern Michigan. We know he can do that. What else is he, though? That's the question. You know, it kind of reminds me of Marvin Bagley, where it's like, you know, his dad ran his EYBL team. He was kind of sh- shuttled from place to place and allowed to do what he wanted. In some cases, that works. In some cases, that works. Like Lamelo, great player, great to play with. We had to kind of read into that. When we read into into Amani, do you think he how how long can he continue this? Is my question for you. I know I know I'm kind of raining on your parade a little bit. I mean, I'm not saying I love him. I'm not saying I love him. I just like watching him. He's, <laughs> he's a bucket getter. The dude takes the most absurd shots. He's the guy in 2K, you know, who's just taking every shot every time he gets a touch. He's not passing the ball. It's just fun to watch this guy just freelance out there on the court and take these contested jump shots. Does it translate to the NBA? Hell no. Yeah. Because for Bates, he needs to show that he can do more. Everything we've been talking about this whole episode, Kyle, about the NBA guys who have worked it out, about the college prospects like Anthony Black, like the, the assisted usage stat you mentioned is very telling. Anthony Black can do a lot when he gets touches, right? And he doesn't always need to be scoring because he can create for others. If Amani is smart, that's what he would be trying to show. Hey, I can elevate this Eastern Michigan Eagles squad yeah. and make us competent. Instead, they're one in five the only game they won was without him. Oof. And today, earlier today, he played again. Did not mention these stats at the top. This was his worst game of the season. 15 points 
on 14 field goal attempts. Once again, no assists to three turnovers. With Amani, I want to fall back in love with the idea of what he appeared to be in high school, with what it appeared that he could become. But even putting aside the decisions and and all that, like he's listed as 6'10", but he's so lean, Kyle. He doesn't he doesn't look six ten to me. Like there's not a six ten impact player there. He, he plays like a guy who's six foot four, six foot five. I I, I don't see it. I, I was very surprised to see on Twitter, you know, the first real mainstream. I don't know if I want to call it mainstream. The more the more the first popular Twitter account that I've really seen to mention Imani Bates was Ball Don't Stop. Uh, popular Twitter account. He said, Amani Bates is a lottery pick, NBA game. That surprised me. I, I, I think it's, there's no way he's a lottery pick. You could talk about a team giving him a chance in the late first, maybe, second round, but lottery pick, there's no way. No way. I think he's a flyer. I think it's just too risky. I, I've also heard some like biomechanical stuff from people that know that it's a little troublesome. Um, just about his feet and his length and the way he runs and things like that. Um, I just, I'm not saying it, he is obviously a talented player. I think it's more of like, uh, I think it's more of, of w- w- the way that he's willing to play, what he's willing to sort of submit himself to in terms of like, you know, buying into the other parts of the game because that's what we wanted to see when he went to Memphis was we were like, hey, we want to we want to see you play off of people. We want to see you move off the ball, use that shooting gravity that you have. Like Michael Porter Jr. is a guy who was really insistent on playing a certain way. He could justify it, you know, because he started to show us some different things in his cutting and, and things. I just think, I think Imani's a different type of animal. Um, I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm just kind of, I'm in a pretty pessimistic place about it, is what I'm saying. So you don't agree with ball don't stop lottery pick. That's what you're saying. You just, you're poking me and prodding me. Uh <laughs> I don't know. I think there are different parts of the basketball internet that have value sets that I don't always like resonate with. I think there are people that kind of worship worship at the altar of self creation. Self creation is awesome, but I think that if it's not, you know, if that's the only tool in your tool belt, and you every nail that comes in front of you or everything that comes in front of you gets hit with a hammer because you think, you know, I'm messing up there. Whatever. I just think. If the only tool that you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And I think that he is only willing to use a hammer at this point in his basketball life. So I, I would love to see Imani diversify and, and do something else because the shot creation thing alone is just not, he's ramming his head against the wall. This is like the 10th the iteration that we've seen of it. It's the same story. They stink. They're not any better. Um, I just, there's, there's a lot of stuff for Imani to work on. I hope he does. I hope he does. Sure is fun as hell to watch the highlights on YouTube. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I pooed it, <laughs> didn't I? <laughs> it's no, a Kevin, lot of fun. It's not fun. <laughs> Let, let's move on to a player who is, uh, you know, we agree. It's very fun. The weekly Wemby, our weekly Victor Webbenyama update. We talked last week about his performance for the French national team. He's back with the Mets signing too. What have we seen from Webbenyama, Kyle? I just put out a video about Win Banyama. Actually, um, what what have we seen from him lately? Uh, more of the you know the shot creation stuff has been the story so far this season. A little crossover on the left wing he had. Ooh, get into the basket. Ooh wee. That That's nice. the thing. I I probably could have gone into more in my video, but I didn't want to. I wanted people to to under well just to kind of understand the basic conversation about why people are excited instead of doing like a full blown dive because uh, I think we're gonna probably. I'd imagine we're both going to do full-blown Wemby dives at we some We should point. do a collab video. We should do like a 30-minute Wemby breakdown. 
<laughs> yeah, we should yeah. We could do that. We could do that. We could talk about that. Have, just have your people contact mine. Um, yeah, I wanted to just kind of lay the foundation because one of the things that I've kind of been hearing more and more lately is, um, and tell me, I think the the surging kind of presence of bowl bowl has caused some of this to sort of like bubble up and fester. Have you seen some of this? Oh, yeah, people yeah, are like, well, what's oh, the difference? Nobody between... like Wemby has ever existed now. What about bowl bowl? Yeah. 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 I, I've been seeing that a little bit. And that's kind of <laughs> what I set out in the video to kind of address that like, you know, he is similar to some seven footers that have come along, some, you know, well, you know, seven three, seven four, seven five guys. Um, what makes him different, things like that. So go check that out if you want my succinct thoughts on that. For what it's worth, last game he did play was against his old squad, Nanterre. 30 points, a 9 of 14 from 2, 1 of 5 from 3, 9 11 from the free throw line, 9 rebounds, 5 blocks, no assists, 3 turnovers. Another dominant performance, though. Mets 92 won again, 92 85. They're rolling with Wemby. I look forward to continuing to watch them. Kyle, for Thanksgiving, I mentioned on Wednesday night tonight I was supposed to go to the Pepperdine UCLA game. I'm very sad I will not be going to that. Um, but for Thanksgiving, still a lot of basketball games to be watching these next couple of nights. What are you going to be turning on TV tomorrow? Kevin O'College. Um, yeah, Alabama and Michigan State are going to be playing, which is going to be cool if you want to check out Brandon Miller playing against you know a, a team that guards really well. It's a big one for him. He's been spectacular ever since we spoke about him first episode, shooting the hell out of the ball. Big time. Oregon UConn is interesting. Jordan Hawkins is a is a six five wing potential first rounder for them. And as we said, Oregon has some bigs, Khalil Ware and Polly Dante. They have they, that'll be a good game. And then just Maui, just continue to watch Maui. Arizona is really fun to watch, as we saw last night. Uh, they're putting up like a hundred points a game right now. Uh, and they have uh, Tubelas, No Marbalo, and Courtney Ramey, who's a good player. And then the PK-85 uh, tournament, which is going to be going on in Portland. There are a lot of good teams in that. Duke and Gonzaga chiefly among them. Um, there's a lot of basketball to watch, college basketball. So it's going to be fun. Lots to watch, Kyle. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to the next couple of days being buried at home, watching NBA, watching college, watching G League, watching international, watching OTE. There's a lot of basketball to be watching right now. It's good times. Kyle, this was a fun episode. Thank you, man. Good to see you, man. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Ringers NBA Draft Show. Thank you to Jesse Lopez for producing. Hope you have a rest of your day.